This is Interband Radio. Honest questions, biblical answers, and proof that anyone with a mic can have their own podcast. Mark, this is uh, this is a a bit of a momentous day for us here at Interman Radio. This is a relaunch of Interman Radio of sorts. You could probably tell by the uh, the new theme music as we roll in. That and the clear crystal sound of our voices. Yes. Now we can't do much for the uh, for the talent behind the microphones, but we but, can make talent sound better. And what we're doing here uh, with the relaunch of Interman Radio, our goal, as we've mentioned before, really is to. Uh, to take away any lack of production value as a stumbling block for those who might listen and remove that as an excuse for listening to the content of what we're trying to say. What I'm trying to say is we don't want the bad sound to uh, get in the way of the message. Yeah, we want the echo in your head to be there as a result of what we said, not the background noise in the room when we do the recording. Yeah, so we're really grateful to God for uh, providing that and Tim McHenry helping us set all that up and uh, getting everything engineered right, too. So uh, there's going to be an app uh, that has been submitted to both Google and the Apple app stores, I guess it would say, and it's pending approval from both of those. And as soon as that's uh, launched, we'll... uh, We'll let you know. Okay, so let's jump into it. If there is a God, why is there pain and suffering? As as I see it, Mark, there's there's probably about three different types of people listening to this. One person uh, would be someone who's been told that God is loving and he's, he's just and merciful, but they, they really have a hard time squaring that with the scriptures that say that uh, that he is uh, when they see pain and suffering in the world. And and that's a that's a real hurdle for them. Yeah, I think that's a legitimate question that a lot of people do have. And another one would be a person who uh, they they do believe in God, or they've been raised to believe in God, or they're around people who believe in God. They want to. They have a hard time answering this question of pain and suffering when it comes up, and they'd really like to have a good answer for it. And then there's the person who just is looking for an excuse to not believe in God, and they're going to throw this out there, and it doesn't really matter what you say. It's yeah, so- but those guys need to have an answer too. I mean, just because they just because they might not have a le- legitimate drive behind the question doesn't mean that we can simply throw it out. So we do want to deal with those things and give honest answers, and the the scriptures really do provide us with some rational answers for that question. So with all that said, Mark, if there is a God, why why does he allow suffering anyway? Sure, that's a reasonable question, and I think before we jump into the topic, I think we have to take a second and just acknowledge that suffering is a real part of people's lives, and we're going to deal with it today on Interman Radio in a way that is a little bit detached and a little bit academic at first, and that's not to make light of uh, or to cheapen the suffering that people really do go through. Right. We recognize that pain is real and, and that people do have to endure that, but we also at the same time want to take a more academic look at the beginning and talk about, okay, What's God's purpose for pain, and and does it have a a rational part of our lives that's not only necessary but it's also positive, and so that's that's what we're going to try and do today on on the Interman Radio episode. Pain is a very emotional issue. We really acknowledge that. Uh, we empathize with that. Yeah. So <clears throat> the question for today is: If God is all loving, all knowing, and all powerful, why does He allow pain and suffering? There's there's a couple of things in that in that question that are kind of baked in that ought not to be there this this always strikes me as as a you know a teenager who 
you know, dad just said, you cannot borrow the car. And they slammed the door of their bedroom and said, if you really loved me. You would let me. That's right. You would let me take the car. You would let me whatever. And it's putting irrational demands on a God of our own imagination. That is to say, not that God is just in our imagination, but how does a teenager know what it is to love as a parent? They're not a parent. Right. They can't put themselves in that place. How much greater a leap is it for someone to say, I can't believe in a God who claims to be all loving, knowing, and powerful, but who doesn't give me what I want? In this case, the absence of pain. Right. Right. Uh, Because we lack the perspective of the big picture. That's right. We're not all knowing, loving, and powerful, so there's no way that we could assume what a God who is all of those things would or would not do. So... Just at the at a basic uh, philosophical level, you can't ask that question because you'd have to be all of those things in order to know what what a God who has those qualities would do or or uh, or how they would act. The second thing is, you know, I noticed just as an aside, um, Lewis made this comment in his 1947 publication. Lewis Lewis Farrakhan. Lewis. <laughs> no, no, uh, that would be C. S. Lewis. Okay. He said that, you know, he just noted, and I think it's worthy of mentioning, that when people say they can only believe in a God all-knowing, loving, and powerful, that's the God of the Old and New Testament that they're describing. It's not the Greek gods that they describe. Right. Zeus was not uh, all-loving and all-powerful. No, it's not the Hindu gods that right. they describe. It's Why is it only the Judeo-Christian God that they claim to be able to believe in, and yet they see what they feel are are incongruencies in the world, therefore not allowing themselves to believe. What we want to do now is let's imagine a world. Imagine a world. Ooh. In a world. That's that how sounds, all great movie yeah. trailers start out. It's actually, in a world. It's actually how all politicians start their campaign, isn't it? Imagine. 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 Oh, imagine just right. imagine a world with yeah. no pain, right? Yes, that's right. That's right. Let's imagine for a moment that, that pain was taken away, at least in a physical sense, right? So wouldn't it be great if you get up in the middle of the night and you stub your toe mm. on that table leg or you step on the one of kids your kids' Legos? Legos. Oh, man. <laughs> right? Doesn't hurt. Yeah. Doesn't hurt. That sounds fantastic, doesn't it? Yeah, and it? the kids would appreciate that in the morning, too. <laughs> yeah, they would. <laughs> right? That sounds great. And as great as that sounds, there are people who actually have just such a condition. Hmm. It's called congenital insensitivity to pain, or CIP. And as it, as it sounds, they just don't feel pain, which sounds great yeah, until first. you try it. Yeah, yeah at, at first it sounds really good. Um, but these guys typically don't live very long. And the reason is they don't know when they've been injured. So usually huh. their eyesight suffers a great deal because let's say they get something in their eye. Well, you or I would react immediately because of the pain. Sure. We've got to get that out, and we're flushing the eye, and we're calling for help. Okay, these guys don't even notice. They just blink and move on, mm-hmm. just like normal. They don't know that there's a problem. They don't know that they're scratching their lens with every blink of the eye. The result is they don't usually have very good eyesight, and they tend not to live very long. They tend not to have very good judgment when it comes to risk-taking because jumping off the roof to them is a thrill, but there's no pain involved. 
so their judgment suffers as a result of not feeling that kind of pain. The same thing holds true in several other areas. Pain is the necessary feedback mechanism so that we learn what is the consequence of our decisions. What, are, what do our choices cost us? And without that, we're left in this kind of, in this world where all of our decisions have no differing values. So Go pain ahead. and suffering is, is pain and suffering is kind of the feedback loop that that God uses to to let us know uh, if our actions are good or bad or sure. beneficial to others or right. So so let's try it emotionally. Let's see if we took pain out of personal relationships, right? Okay. So things that cause pain are lying, mm-hmm. right? Stealing. I right. Mean, all of all of those things which uh, you may have read about in the Ten Commandments. Um, those things cause pain in personal relationships. What if we removed those? What if we took out the pain of lying? What if we took out the pain of broken hearts? What if we took out the pain of uh, of so, so you're not saying remove the lying. You're just saying remove the pain associated with lying. Yes. Okay, so what if we took away the pain associated? Okay, so somebody tells a lie to some to their spouse, and there's no pain involved. The spouse isn't hurt by that. Right. There's no emotional result of that. There's no pain or, or suffering that comes as a result of the lying. Well, well, then why would you ever tell the truth? Maybe it's convenient. Maybe it's not. I mean, yeah. But there's there's no way to value those things comparatively because, in essence, they're getting the same result. Right. Pain, no pain. Well, if there is no, no pain, pain. There's no truth. Untruth doesn't really matter. It's the same. And so... The problem is they're doing harm, but they don't feel the results of it. Just like jumping off the roof of the shed, see, but there's no there's no accompanying pain. So judgment never develops as a result of never feeling the pain. They never lose the relationship because because as a result of what they've done. So why make changes? Hmm. Right. Same, same thing happens. Um, well, you know what? Same thing happens when people. Here's a way in which we do, as a culture, remove pain, is we medicate pain right? of all kinds. Oh, absolutely. In fact, a lot of our society is built on trying to remove any kind of pain associated with life in general. Yeah, anything. You know, what, parents with kids trying to keep their kids from any boo-boo. Uh, and then as ourselves, you know, some well, antidepressants are, uh, are a big deal uh, to, to eliminate any type of uh, pain or uh, sad emotion, right? Yeah, it does. It cuts, it short circuits that feedback mechanism. So that people don't feel empathy, they don't feel pain, they don't, you know, they're cut off emotionally so that they're not in pain, but they also don't have any of the corresponding positive emotions either. But <clears throat> in that in that case, what we actually end up with are, are people who are, they're sociopaths because they no longer have empathy for people, so they can't build normal relationships as a result of the absence of that pain. The same thing takes place spiritually. What if we remove the, the spiritual pain called guilt? Mm-hmm. What if we take that away from people and we say, well, it's your parents' fault or, you know, but it's certainly not your fault and you don't right. need to feel guilty about that. Uh, there's been a movement for, for quite a long time to marginalize guilt, make, make a person feel like if they, if they feel guilt, they should feel shame. Because of having guilt. Wait a minute. That's kind of wait a minute. So no, but if you if you feel guilt, then uh, clearly you don't understand God's love and, and mercy. And, and while I understand that it, when we're forgiven, uh, we're forgiven. Uh, but at the same time, if you do something wrong and you don't feel guilty for right. it, 
Uh, that's a problem. That's a red flag. That's a problem. Guilt should be the spiritual pain that causes us to learn what is and is not good spiritual behavior so that we can have a real functioning relationship with God. Without pain, there's no path to understanding what's positive and what's negative behavior. It really becomes the foundation even of natural law because if I don't know how I want to be treated, well, how should I treat others? There's no context. There isn't. The, the, uh, the golden rule is, is rendered moot because, because it doesn't make any difference to me. I don't feel pain either way. So you can't have those and you can't have the, uh, the absence of pain and still gain the results of learning any other way. Okay, but that still doesn't answer the question of uh, a child who's born into a, like a deadbeat family where everything is stacked against them. Mom and dad, maybe you're drug addicts or you know, whatever the situation is. You know, why does God allow those kinds of things to happen? Is it just because it gives the child a better opportunity for more pain loop feedback? I mean, what's... Yeah, that sounds cold. It, it really does. I mean, why does God allow that? Well, in the first place, <clears throat> you know, a lot of those conditions are not the result of God's choice, per se, so much as it is the result of God allowing mankind to have choice. So, in, in, a, in a case like that, it may not be the child's decision to grow up in a place like that, but in many cases, it is the choice, it is the decision made by their parents. We would say, well, God, who is all-loving, you know, we might like to hold him to a standard that says there can't be pain, but would we believe that a God who removed choice from the individual was more loving? Hmm, no, because then we're just basically automatons created to serve without any independence. For God to love us, he has to give us choice, but in the giving of choice, he, you have to accept the risk of pain. You know, parents see this in their kids, right? I mean, if, if you're going to let your kids play together, you, you're going to give them the opportunity to choose to make good decisions. Mm -hmm. But with that opportunity to choose good also comes the possibility <laughs> right. that they might not choose well and that they might actually do harm to one another in one form or another. That's actually a necessary element for them to grow because the other option would be to banish them both to their rooms, right? Oh, just isolate them from any possibility of harm. There you go. And there we've removed the problem of pain. But you really haven't. All and they never grow up. Right. Well, okay. In, in, in this case, though, we talked about parents, but there could be two, three, four degrees removed from a child or an individual, decisions that are made by others who might be in positions of power, uh, who are maybe setting entire countries on a particular course that yeah. causes millions of people pain because of decisions of the political leaders. But that still comes back to the same situation where really, um, without the ability to choose, we really don't have, without the ability to choose, there is no loving God. That's right. Yeah, you, exactly. So, you know, God in this sense is is kind of caught himself by his own character. Because he loves mankind, he has to risk that mankind is going to do wrong to one another. And But the, you know, the pain is there as the feedback mechanism so that hopefully mankind learns 
from that experience. Right. So going back to the, the parent situation here, uh, parent analogy, um, which really does apply, uh, especially since we're God's children, right? So parents aren't demonstrating love to their kids by never allowing them to make a bad decision. Right. Parents aren't uh, demonstrating love to their kids by protecting them from every source of pain they could mm-hmm. ever have. In fact, it's actually pretty much the opposite. Um, uh, you know, yes, there are certain boundaries and guidelines that we try to keep our kids within to protect them from things that they're not prepared for yet. Yep. Yep. Um, and God actually does the same thing as well. Yeah. Uh, but, but really demonstrating, you know, if I were to keep my kids here at the, at the Yates abode until they're 80 and they can die comfortably here <laughs> without ever, you know, yeah. We, yeah. That, that's not love. And nope. nobody in society who would claim that God is unloving would say, I'm a loving parent for right. doing that. Right, because we recognize it in that one. It's it's just m- more transparent. But they're making claims of God, which are contrary to God's own nature. God, you have to love me in this way. But you know, as we've talked about, when you break it down, that's not love at all. And for God to do that would be to violate His own nature. Well, you know, Mark, this is pretty deep. I have to say, you know, uh, sometimes when we're talking about things like this, it's good to get a little breath of fresh air, a little bit of outside pithy country wisdom. Pithy. Pithy, yeah. And I've got just a source for that, my Uncle Fillmore, uh, who I reached out to. Uncle Fillmore. And uh, Uncle Phil, you know, he uh, (laughs) he's really good for giving... uh, unexpected wisdom and uh, I reached out and said hey Uncle Fillmore we're doing an uh, episode on apologetics and uh, would you mind telling us why it is that you're a Christian what are your apologetics and uh, let's take a listen to what he had to say All right. Hi there, this is Uncle Fillmore. When the young whippersnappers from Inner Man Radio asked me to give them several apologies for being a Christian, I thought they were crazy. But in today's climate, with everyone else apologizing because they used to believe in God, well, I guess I don't blame them. But the truth is, there's no way I'm apologizing for being a Christian. I mean, real men don't apologize. And besides, I've got five good reasons for believing in God. First of all, if God doesn't exist, then where'd we get the Bible from anyway? That right there is proof enough. Or do you really think anyone would take that much time and effort to print that many lies decade after decade? I don't either, unless it's the New York Times. Second, my Aunt Margie had a pineapple-sized growth on her eyelid, and after much prayer and four surgeries, she was miraculously healed. How do you explain that? Third, Christians are some of the best people you will ever meet. I mean, they're honest, hardworking, reliable people. I can't think of anyone claiming to be a Christian who would ever do anyone else wrong, except maybe my cousin Lou from Sandusky, but he's an outlier. Fourth, if there is no God, then how did America come to be? I mean, George Washington should have been dead at least 14 times, with bullet holes in his jacket and hat, and having walked his horse over dozens of IEDs buried in the road by the British insurgency and guess what? He didn't die. America's founding father miraculously saved time and time again. Ain't that proof? If there is no God, then how do you explain speaking in tongues? I mean, there's no possible way people can make that gibberish up. It's gotta be the tongues of angels. Well, I hope you faithless Interman radio hosts are encouraged to believe in God once again. Anytime you need some solid advice, well, you just just let me know. 
Wow. Well, thank you for that, Uncle Fillmore. We'll call you next time, <laughs> yeah, and uh, right. yeah, maybe. Does that mean he's related? Does that mean you're related to Lou from Sandusky? It does in some weird I way. I did not know yeah, that. Yeah, Lou from Sandusky. Yeah, but I think Uncle Fillmore is actually both of our uncle. Both. But we'll talk about that later. Yeah. Later. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sometimes we're talking about the issue of pain and suffering. We end up with, with the issue of what is fair? You know, how come I suffer more than my neighbor suffers? I mean, I can tell just by looking well, at I him can, that he's I can, got it Mark, easy. Mark, I can, I can tell you why you suffer more than your neighbor <laughs> suffers right now. <laughs> Do you really have to ask? He's Do you want to know? He's got it easy compared to—I mean, my lot in life is difficult. I, I mean, it's troublesome, and it's heartache, and it's— uh, it's not really that bad. <clears throat> but we do tend to compare ourselves against our neighbor and then hold God to that standard. And that's problematic for a couple reasons. Number one, when did God ever promise you that you deserve exactly what your neighbor gets or more likely what you think your neighbor has? I mean, just because his Facebook page looks better than yours does not <laughs> right. mean his life. It's all true. Is, it's, it's all true, Does Mark. not mean his life is better than yours or that he's better off. Um, so in the first place, before we could even advance that argument with God, we would have to know our neighbor better than we can as mortal men. We can't know what's really his lot in life. Now, Having said that, sometimes it seems that the circumstances would be obvious. You know, this person's house burned down, right? This yeah. person, their house didn't burn down. Okay. Now, I think it's worth pointing out that, you know, in James, the Scripture says that, that uh, the guy who is, is poor is the one who is rich in faith. And he says it's the rich who oppress you, personally drag you into court, and blaspheme the fair name by which you've been called. Normally, we would look at the guy who's rich, and say he's the blessed one. Jesus, though, corrected our misunderstanding when he said it's more difficult for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. The poor man, by contrast, is rich in faith. So I think it's worth stopping to at least adjust our thinking or, or accept the fact that we may not be able to make those kinds of decisions about whose lot in life is better based on how it appears to us on the outside. You know, that's a really good point because we're looking at such a shallow, narrow uh, measure of, of another person's situation when we say, well, they've got more of this or their house is like, or their job is like this or they got, right. um, really there's so much more going on behind the scenes. And we use that very narrow slice of what we think we see in a person to judge whether or not God is being fair. And only right now. Right. Right, so who's to say? I mean, what about that person five years down the road, ten years right, down the road? Right. What's going on in that person's heart? What's going on behind the scenes that we don't know? And really, is money and is is lack of pain really the measure? There's a lot more here to measure by, isn't there? There really is. You know, there are different situations for sure, but the idea that that suffering and pain are only negative is a false assumption. Um, in First Peter chapter 4, you know, we're told that those who suffer in the flesh have ceased from sin. Now, that's a worthy goal, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, to, yeah. to, to cease from sin, that, that's something of, of objective, eternal value. But he says the means through which that comes 
is the suffering that's in the flesh. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about kids, and that's how Hebrews 12 describes our relationship. When he says, um, you know, all, all uh, discipline for the moment seems it's not unpleasant. joyful, yes. yeah, but unpleasant. sorrowful. Right. But he says afterwards, those who've been trained by it, you know, it yields in them the peaceful, peaceful fruit, fruit of, of righteousness. righteousness. That's right. Well, if the peaceful fruit of righteousness is worth pursuing, then the, the, com- the discomfort, the pain, the, uh, the suffering, if you will, of the discipline process, the training process, is worth going through. Right. So an athlete who's training for an event and they're trying to get themselves in physical shape, that involves a lot of pain. A lot. And that's one re- that's probably the main reason why most people aren't well, aside from talent, aren't <laughs> right. aren't aren't athletes. Maybe really who wants to go through the pain that these guys go through, the discipline it takes to get to that level. But really is it tr- too trite to say no pain, no gain? Does that sound too Ooh, no, flippant? I <clears throat> See, I, let's, that's a good point. So let's say we let's say we took the athlete as a, as an example. Um, we see in that athlete someone who exercises self control in all things, right? Buffets right. the body, makes it his slave. Pain right. is involved there. What do we see in them? We see we see virtue. We see perseverance. Right. We diligence. See diligence. Yeah. We see hard work. We see prioritization we see we look to those guys sometimes maybe i think more than we should but we look to those guys as role models Mm -hmm. of what can be done and we even hold them on a pedestal higher if they've come from a a a difficult background yeah we say you know they overcame these obstacles and look what they made of themselves right in spite of those things so it sounds good to say, imagine a world where there's no pain, and that if God really loved us, there would be no pain. But what they don't ever consider in that premise is that if you were to remove pain, not only would the feedback mechanism be broken for us to learn, you also are going to remove all the virtue in mankind. Where's the virtue in heroism if there's no pain? There right. is no heroism. I mean, there is no heroism, right? A hero is somebody who risks incredible pain and death for the sake of others. If integrity costs me nothing, why is that something to be pursued? Yeah. If there, see, it sounds good to say, well, we just won't have any pain. But they never consider the fact that if you remove pain, you've removed all of the virtue from mankind as well. One final thought. on If you take pain away then you've taken away the primary means that God has used to show and demonstrate his love toward mankind. See, if you take pain out of the cross... Yeah, there's, there's no sacrifice. There, 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 there is no sacrifice. It's not a sacrifice. It's not a sacrifice, because it didn't cost him. In, in that, there was no pain. There was no suffering. Jesus even goes beyond you know, what was... I guess, in a sense, required when you may remember, you know, they, they hoist up to him on, on a pole. They hoist up that uh, sponge, you know, soaked in vinegar and gall, which was a, a pain-killing element, a, and you know, something to take the edge off. And he refused Jesus, it. He refuses it. He yeah. said, no, not, not going to do it. Why would he do that? He's deliberately choosing pain. 
among other things, it shows us the tremendous level of love that God has for us. And if that pain is removed, then God just went through the motions and it's all a hoax. It's it's not real. It's just simply going through an, an empty play, but there's no actual, um, there's no experience involved in that. It's just somebody playing a role, but it never really happened. It wasn't real. So really, Mark, if we were to take this back to the beginning question, uh, why does God allow pain and suffering? Really, the real question is, is if God, if, if, if God did not allow pain, would he really love us? That is the right question. That is the right question. And we'll see you next time on Inner Man Radio. Radio.